From Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette and Chachi's co-host, Beatles instructor at Suffolk University, David Galan. Well, hello and welcome to Get Back to the Beatles, the Beatles podcast originating out of Boston, Massachusetts on the Boston Podcast Network. My name is Chachi. I also host New England's Breakfast with the Beatles for over 25 years in New England, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Maine pod617.com thank you mr yaz for pressing the button on our recorded intro and we have my famous partner on uh, on the line with us as well mr david galanti teaches the beatles class at suffolk university for over 15 years hello professor galant how are you today Hello, Chachi. How are you? I hope all is well in your world and count me as usual, maybe even more than usual. Very, very excited uh, that we'll be uh, having our particular guest with us today. I'm excited as well. First, I want to thank our sponsor, Subaru of New England. And yes, I have great admiration for our guest today. We met over the last few months and uh, truly unique, super talented guy, a self-starter. He has carved his own path as you know, I have done because of my love with the Beatles. Professor, you have done. You teach a Beatles class. And the Beatles have been a huge part of my life. And as I said, determined my career path. And in a lot of ways, the same happened to our guest today. His name is John Logan. At the age of 12, he discovered that he had a talent for performing magic. And he'll tell us about that. Not, not long after that, he discovered the Beatles. And Along the way, he developed a career path as a highly sought-after keynote speaker, has spoken all over the country, creating the mantra, impossible is just a word. He speaks to companies, employees, conventions. He's booked all over the country, and he's currently traveling with his show called Magic with the Beatles. I saw it along with my beautiful bride, Stephanie, uh, in July. Two shows coming up this month in August. He'll tell us about that. And he is just a really great stand-up guy. We welcome Mr. John Logan. Hello, John. Hey, how's it going? Thanks so much for that uh, intro. I'm excited for our conversation today. I feel like we have a we have a lot in, lot in common, so I'm uh, looking forward to talking more about it. Yes, and when I mentioned to the professor, you know, that we were going to have John Logan on, and he did a lot of uh, online searching of what you've done, and he was pretty impressed. Is that correct, Mr. Gallant? It's it's absolutely correct, and you know the the world of of magic has is you know intrigued me, fascinated me, always been sort of outside of my uh, ability to you know to ply that trade. I'd like to think maybe I I use some of the magicians' methods when I teach, right, to convince people of ideas, the power of suggestion, and 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 then realizing that that the magic at the end of the day is in their hands and not so much in mine, you know, and uh, to be able to convey that through the music of the Beatles, uh, I think maybe Chachi, by the end of our talk today, we may have to go back and rewrite the line from John Lennon's God that maybe he does believe in magic. You know, his first line of all of the things he doesn't believe in, it says, I don't believe in magic. Well, you know, we might have to, we might have to reverse that. Um, I also thought of that, of that Beatles book by Devin McKinney called Magic Circles, right? About the Beatles in myth and mythology. And, you know, what a great combo, magic and, and the Beatles. So yeah, this is, uh, this is very exciting because, you know, as, as you know, Chachi and, and John can sort of intuit from this, spend a lot of time in, in college classrooms and, and motivating students and having them believe in things that they can do that they didn't realize that they could do. So, and I'm so glad that, that not only does he do that professionally, it's not that he doesn't do the Beatles work professionally, but what a great combination that it's really uh, such a powerful tool uh, to use. And I'm not going to ask him about, uh, to look behind the curtain and see what the wizard does, <laughs> because, you know, there's, there's, there's great power in mystery, too. That is true. And we're going to find out all about John during our podcast today. And you mentioned magic circles. And, you know, that was a Paul McCartney idea to name the Revolver album. So interesting that we have a really talented magician. And I'm sure it will come up in, in the podcast today that he one of the highlights was being on America's Got Talent and getting a standing ovation by all the judges, Howard Stern, including and everyone in the audience because of his magical or i should say magic skills but it all started back when you were 12 years old right john yeah yeah it was it was, it was kind of a kind of an interesting story i was really bored at one of my family parties i was 12 years old i was the only person there that was my age and 
just to kind of entertain myself, I went in the other room and started creating up creating magic tricks with just different objects and ideas. And I went back home and I filmed myself performing the tricks and my face wasn't in the videos. It was only my hands. And I put the videos online and a few days later, a talent agency found the videos and <laughs> didn't know how I was pulling them off. And so they messaged me and we had a conversation and they didn't realize I was only 12 years old because my face wasn't in the videos. So to make a long story short, they asked me a few other ideas I had and kind of they were really intrigued by the way I, I approach creativity and approach magic. And I ended up becoming a, a creative consultant for them. And it was it was just really a great I was really fortunate. It was kind of the right place at the right time. And I was really lucky to be surrounded by a lot of successful magicians growing up and understood how they approached magic, how they approached the business side and the creativity side and, and how they develop new routines and their stage presence and all this, all this type of things. And I was lucky that a lot of them worked with, you know, well-known magicians, you know, David Copperfield, David Blaine, Penn and Teller. And so I kind of got a sneak peek behind, you know, how they develop routines. And it, it, it led more to over the years, I was really intrigued by the magic, but I was really more intrigued by the creativity process of how people actually develop a new idea in their head and how do they make that become a reality? And really, how do you make the impossible become possible? And that's exactly what magicians do. And we have to make the impossible become possible. And there's different strategies and different biases that I've learned that we as humans have when approaching creativity and trying to achieve the impossible and thinking something's not possible. Well, if we look at it from a different perspective, it really is possible. So I was just really, really interested in the whole idea of psychology and perception and problem solving. And uh, that's what, you know, and you mentioned it uh, in the beginning, but that's what my talks are about now. Impossible is just a word. And, and, that, and that's what I talk about. And it blends right in with the Beatles because uh, the Beatles, they achieved the impossible that they did. They achieved things that no one has ever done before. And and uh, people still haven't done, you know? So to me, I think magic is simply anything in life that you thought was impossible become impossible. And the, the Beatles did that. So to me, the Beatles are magic, you know, in, in a way. So that's, that's how it all, all became full circle. Well, that's, that's, that's fantastic. We're very happy for you. We, we love the fact that you're here. And uh, Professor, next, go for you. You go for it. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, John, I think what I find fascinating, it's funny, at, at, at Suffolk, there's also a requirement called a course, very, very, all sorts of different topics called creativity and innovation. And I think a lot of, a lot of colleges and universities are employing such, such a, a course requirement where it is okay to fail, <laughs> where you learn how things don't work well. But it is a lot about having students understand the way creativity works and it's very very rarely a solo process right and and it's often part of group trial and error now that must be difficult in some ways for the way people mostly think about magic and magicians as a solo person right and even amongst a group if you if you've got a, a group and you've got yes you have a project manager but when the group has to decide you know how is it in your in your motivational speaking or when you're using the Beatles, because sure, they had a leader in the beginning, but as we know, they are a they are a total that is greater than the sum of their individual parts, right? Like any like any well-oiled machine or or good functioning group. So how do you get people to see beyond that there's one person who supposedly has the keys to the magic, right? And that it's something that actually can be can be shared like it was with the Beatles. How do you how do you get them to think in those ways? Yeah, that's a great question. You touched upon a lot of different topics there. Uh, the first being the best way to achieve something is to fail at something else, essentially. So I'll, I'll kind of go back to what you said, and then I'll and I'll correlate it to the more of the collaboration concept. I think a lot of people nowadays, from my perspective, I think the number one fear in life is the, is the judgment of others. People don't try things because they, they're the fear of, of failing. So a lot of companies, a lot of groups, a lot of employees, a lot of team members, they won't pitch an idea, even though they have it in their head, not because they don't know if the idea will work, but they're afraid of seeing other people seeing them fail as well. So that's what I think folds back a lot of people in terms of creativity and a lot of in terms of teamwork. And I was like that in the beginning as well. And I think a, a lot of magicians, you know, we were very secretive of, of our, we're pre protective of our, of our secrets 
And, and I did approach it as an individual person. I didn't like to share a lot of my ideas. I didn't like to, you know, talk to other magicians. I, and, I, and, and, but over the years, I realized that the more I was actually sharing with other people, the more successful I, I ended up becoming. And because I understood their perspective as well. And I said, oh, okay, well, oh, like they said, oh, well, what, what if you tried this instead or this instead? And it's, it's actually a funny, a good example of this is I try to tell people to not only talk to people that are in their industry, but talk to people that know nothing about your industry as well, or nothing about, let's say, if you're teaching your students uh, a, a certain topic, have them talk to people that know nothing about the topic. Because what I've learned over the years is we have this confirmation bias. And when, when magicians develop new ideas and they share with other magicians, those other magicians may think it's the greatest thing in the world. They say, oh my God, this, is, this looks like a genius idea. I'm going to put it into my act. My audience will love it. And what I've actually realized is when, when magicians film themselves doing these tricks and then when they show the magicians, those magicians react and they immediately put it into their show. But what I do, rather than doing that, I show the video to people who don't know magic. And you'll never believe a, a lot of times the audiences or people who don't know magic will say, John, I don't understand what the trick is. Or, or John, it's, it's obvious that the magician is just doing X, Y, Z, and they'll, they'll literally explain the method. It's because we're so biased in the way that, that we think. So I've learned over the years is is try to get as, as many perspectives as possible, even to the extent of talking to people who know nothing about your topic, because they'll approach you with, with the new mentality. Because again, we, 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 when, we, when we do something, we're trying to create a, a solution to a problem. We're so focused on it. And it's hard to get a different perspective and relate it back to the Beatles, right? When they produce Sgt. Pepper's, you know, they realized, they said, we don't want to be the Beatles anymore. We, we want to be this, a new band. We want to have a different mindset. And they created different names and, and things like that and, and became one of the best albums of all time. And it's, it's, it's similar to this concept called psychological distance when you are, you separate yourself from the situation and you allow yourself to think like a new person. And there's actually been studies around this where, where the researchers have literally brought people in and they would give, they give these people different challenges to complete. And they'll give them a little name tag about what their career is supposed to be, like an, like an imaginary career. And they said, okay, yeah, what we want you, we want you to think like a scientist. We want you to think like a librarian, like a bank teller. And everyone has this, this different mentality and approaching the problem. And they realized that the people who had the most creative careers, imagine so they had the most creative careers, actually developed more creative solutions. So just by imagining yourself from a that you're approaching from a, from a different perspective, you can actually develop new ideas. Exactly what happened with Sergeant Pepper. So that's what I kind of kind of bring it back full bring it back full circle. A lot of magicians, including myself, I, I was very hesitant about sharing ideas and sharing what's on my mind. But I've learned over the years the best way to be creative is to get as many perspectives as possible and and doing trial and error. And and that's that's the thing. My, my show a year a year ago was completely different from what it, what it is now. And that's because I tweak things. I, and I do a lot of small tweaks that add up to, to, the, to the big things and stuff and things like that. So hopefully I answered your question. I know I kind of- No, uh, you absolutely did. And you know what, John has just given me a, a new point to make in class because I had never actually made the link and now I can. The, the famous press conference when they first landed JFK and they're asked constantly, why, what makes you so popular? What makes you so popular? And, and John says, after being somewhat frustrated, but funny in his own way, really, if we knew we would form another group and be managers, which is sort of exactly what they did with, with the Peppers, right? They mm -hmm. took a step back, formed another group, and kind of managed that. Watch that take on its own life, right? So now I can actually say, well, remember, now we're here in 67. Remember way back when, when they first arrived, they said we could form another group and be managers. And so, you know, that's really what they did and never thought that they would actually do that. But John's given me that, that link there. I, I guess I'm really curious. One of the things, Sean, is you, if we want to say an origination point, you got into magic because, and I love the story, you were bored at a family gathering. Great. So then, how did you discover or realize that you loved the Beatles? 
were you bored at a family gathering and they only had Montavani <laughs> records or something? <laughs> yeah, and I, and I, before you answer, John, I'll add, I'll add, David, that you know we won't give John's age, but he's under thirty, and yeah. we—that's the—that's the real magic of the Beatles. They reach people of all ages, and in reference to what John mentioned earlier. You know, the Beatles might have been a different band if they were educated musicians back then, (laughs) where they were taught how to read music. They were such raw talents, there were no boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so that was a magical part of the Beatles as well. But John is under 30. And so, John, how did you discover the Beatles? Yeah, yeah, of course. That's a good question. So I remember I was I was eight years old and my mom got me the, the one CD for Christmas one year. Uh, and I remember Love Me Do was the first, the first track. And I said, wow, this, this, is a, this is a pretty good song. And I went to the next track and I said, wow, this is a pretty good song. I said that for every single song. And, I, and they just, again, they just sounded differently. And it was, they, they sounded different. And, and I think over the years, I was, I was a Beatles fan. I was nothing, nothing crazy, but I was, you know, I've always loved the Beatles. But then I remember in high school, my one of my friends asked if I knew about the the, the Paul McCartney Paul is dead theory, and I've never heard of it before. And I said, "Wait, what?" And he says, "Oh, well, John, you know, you like magic, and you like you know things like that. You know, have you ever heard about this?" And I said, "Whoa, whoa!" And I researched, and I was so intrigued by it. I and I because I, I love those sort of little subtle hints and clues and things like that. I I find those things really fascinating. So, so. From then on out, I I got into that. And I really, really, I love the theory behind it, and the, all the everyone everyone's their own theories, right? All these little clues, and but that that stemmed into just me naturally listening to Beatles interviews and naturally listening to documentaries and, and podcasts about the Beatles and their songs, and and there's one thing led to another. It was the big snowball effect that I just became a fan of everything that they were doing, and and you know I would. And, and, that, and that kind of it really just took off, took off from there. So for someone, for someone of your, of your age range, that, that one CD was the perfect gateway experience, as we say, truly. Yeah. Chachi, I could tell that he was, he was a man, a young man of tender years when he mentioned the 2016 graduate of Bryant University. <laughs> that kind of gives up the ghost that way, you know, much like you learned one process of a trick. You hear Love Me Do, and then and it builds on that, right? I mean, so, you know, if the Beatles had 20, uh, debatable which side of the pond, 20 number one hits, you probably have 20 top procedures or tricks, right? Things that you know, if someone dropped you in the middle of some place and they said, look, you only get five tricks to use, you've got your top five, right? Based upon context, environment, people you're working with, and what you assess their needs to be, right? What are their needs, and so do you, do you approach an, a, a program or, or a performance assessing the audience? Do you have not so much a confirmation bias, but even would you approach, say, an upcoming show that Chachi will certainly talk about and, and promote for you? Would, would the Hopkinton experience be different than Hanover, different than Franklin in your estimation? Do you, do you have a sense of audience need of what they're going to get from you even before you go in? Oh, of course. Oh, every every single event is different based on the venue size of the way that people are sitting. You know, if, if people are sitting at tables versus stadium seating versus theater seating. And uh, you should see my living room right now. It's a, it's literally it's I'll see if I can just it's just crazy right now. So this is for my show. <laughs> I, I, and uh, for the people who listen, I just did a pan of the of my living room of, of the prop. <laughs> stuff. But uh, because it's, it's because it's a different venue, I have to adapt have to adapt my routines differently if something as simple as if the stage is elevated a few feet because if people are down below they can't see what i'm presenting you know or if it's a flat surface or everyone's on the same level so it it is definitely harder than it sounds i definitely have to adapt uh, a lot of things i've probably adapted a, a good amount from my from the other show to the show coming up just based off of what the venue is and how how it's how it's set up you know how close are people to the stage you know should should i use should i use bigger things should you know you know, essentially, at what where do I enter the stage when I come on? You know, because that influences a few different things. So, so yeah, it's all these little little things that I've realized over the years that add up to to the big things. And and yes, and especially if, if based on the audience as well. You know, if I have an audience that I know a good amount of the people in the audience, or if I know it's you know, let's say if I if I know 
that I know it's maybe family, friends or something like that. I'll maybe test out a lot of new material there and, and see if it's good or not. Right. And then I'll tweak it and, and I'll tweak it. And then, then in front of a bunch of strangers, I know, okay, I know that this is going to, this, this is going to work well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a, a lot of different things of uh, what you said. I have to adapt how I present it, you know, what the tricks are actually, you know, how, how big of props I use all these, or all these sort of things. Yeah. Well, it, it, we saw him, uh, Stephanie and I saw John on July 15th in Hanover, and it was really an amazing, truly phenomenal experience to see magic not only that way, but up close. I mean, we were up close, and not every show is the same as John says. I mean, John had Beatle memorabilia everywhere. He had all different free candy with Beatle-related names. He had Beatles signature cocktails. And they even had box lunches. I mean, John does a phenomenal job. In this particular show, he had an opening act, a short uh, little set by a friend of his named John. Truly amazing. Two women on stage. He touches one on the shoulder and the woman next to her feels it. And the woman that he touched doesn't. I mean, just really interesting stuff. And I will add that, you know, John was... you know, he works with the Patriots. I don't know if you still are, but you were you were the official magician for the Patriots on the Patriots television network. And and everyone from Tom Brady down just loved him because he is so talented. And I will also add that all three of us were at Paul McCartney at Fenway Park. And so he is, in fact, not dead. But uh, John, I mean, look, this is a book just with Paul clues of his <laughs> of him being dead. So. And that was an amazing time for probably you as well, Professor. But being around in 68, I mean, we saw a resurgence of Beatles album sales just to look at the clues. So it, it was an interesting night. And there are two shows coming up, the Black Box Theater in Franklin on August 20th and in Hopkinton on August 26th, Magic with the Beatles. We're going to take a minute right now to tell you about another podcast that you should definitely check out. It's called Past Tens, a top 10 time machine. That's right, Chachi. Tens, as in T-E-N-S. Your host, David Yaz, and the chartmeister, Michael Miltwolf, travel back in time to revisit the top 10 hits on the Billboard charts on a given day in the past. Sometimes the songs hold up nicely, other times they make you cringe, and that's when comedy and chaos ensue on Past Tense. You know, David, I think the best episode was when they went back to 1964 because the list was packed with Beatles songs and also because those bozos, Milt and Dave, respectively, had the good sense to have us on that episode to school them on all things Beatles. I agree, Chachi. That was a fantastic episode, probably their best. But also check out the episode where I filled in for Milt. It spared the audience the usual allotment of milk fart jokes. You'll have to listen to it to what other types of bodily function jokes are put in. I had no idea that you were a guest host. I feel offended and betrayed, but I have to admit, for a couple of knuckleheads, these guys put on a fantastic show. It's past tens, a top ten time machine. Find it anywhere you get your podcast or visit timemachinepod.com. That's timemachinepod.com. And so what do you think you have planned for Franklin? Uh, any changes? What Any kind of highlights that we should yeah. know? Yeah, definitely. Oh, thank you. Thank you for those, for those kind words. And, and yeah, I, this, the first venue uh, a few weeks ago, again, you were, you may be 10 feet away from what I was doing. Right. Yes. Uh, and, and yeah. So, and now in the other venue is going to be at, it's going to be a bigger, bigger stage, bigger venue. So I had to make my, my visuals bigger and because of that i have to tweak a lot of things how i present it and things like that and 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 going back to the original question of how you know an example of how we tweaking the the first show was a sold out show but some people didn't know the sold out show so people showed up at the door and we felt bad we said okay yeah i guess you can come in and buy tickets and as a result we had to set up a table that's literally next to me like on stage and I didn't know that until I came on stage so I had to adapt a lot of what I was doing on the spot because you know of certain angles and how and now I have to turn my nap to make sure that they're seeing everything so again it, it takes a lot of experience to to not panic you know when you're right up on stage in, in order to adapt but yeah the, the I have a lot of 
a lot, a lot of new tricks in the, in the upcoming show. Um, a lot of tweaks to the original tricks that I think make them a lot better as well. I'm a big, I'm a big proponent. I know a lot of magicians, they ask people what they liked about their shows. I ask people what they didn't like about their, my show. And I say, what can I do to, to make it better? And, and I'm, I'm very, cause I'm very critical of myself. I'm kind of a perf- perfectionist in a way. So I want to make everything go as, as good, as good as it can be. So this new show coming up is bigger and better and literally bigger and better. I'm using bigger things. It's, it's a better show. You know what I love about your show and professor, I know you said you wanted to come to either Franklin or Hopkinton, but what John does is it's very educational for us, you know, for all for Beatle fans of all ages. He tells the Beatles story from their teenage years playing at the village fate all the way up past Sergeant Pepper. So he tells the Beatles story. There's lots of images on the, on the, the stage, on, on the screens, and, and then interspersed with magic. And there are so many legs to the Beatles story. You could literally do a different storyline for the Beatles. Do you ever go solo to the solo years? But I mean, there, there's so many ways you could, you could bring the show along. And it was really riveting and a lot of fun and Hanover. And I will tell you, Professor, Steph and I are both going to the Hopkinton and the Franklin show. We don't want to miss it because you know what? <laughs> the show's different each time. Well, you know, I think that uh, John, you, you've been you've been doing this for a while. Even though you're young, you started at a, at a young age, and you 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 enjoy you appreciate the feedback. A little sort of trick over the years, I've I've taught composition, I've taught writing. You had to suffer through two semesters of of composition requirement, writing requirement in college, and so the the instructor's trick is we we moved away many years ago from this is right and this is wrong in commenting on feedback to students, where we would tell them this is what works, really works, and this is what needs work, right, as opposed to right and wrong. So you know, I know you can handle if you tell if you ask your audience what was good, what was bad, but you could go beyond that and say well, what really worked for you, but what what needs work because they may be talking for other people in the audience. Cause I'm sure you have audiences where they're watching you cause they don't want to miss anything, but they may be watching other audience members to see how they react. Right. And so they might say, well, this is how it could work better. Or this is what I really liked or do more of the good stuff. And also, you know, these things that maybe had fallen flat for them. I guess you must go through a different cycle or varieties of the way the magic is presented, whether it is using objects or props, sleight of hand, power of suggestion, technology that you have on stage. I'm sure all of it is a, is a mix together. Would one form or approach to a trick, quote unquote, sort of dominate over the others? Is it mostly sleight of hand or power of suggestion? Because you're not really trying to pull the wool over the audience's eyes, right? Because then they're going to feel as though that they weren't treated, they weren't dealt with honestly, <laughs> or, or, uh, you know, upfront, even though part of the magician's, you know, job is to, is to maybe fool them, but you also want them to think about something, which, which kind of approach do you employ most do you think in your shows? Yeah, that, that is a great question. Yeah, going back to the, the feedback thing for a second, I always like to give feedback links to, to my attendees after my show because I feel like it kind of gives them a day to like actually comprehend what, what went on. And, you know, uh, another thing is I like to have a camera on me and a camera on my audience as well. So when I'm reviewing everything, I look, okay, are they laughing when I want them to laugh? Are they looking at something where I don't want them to look? Did, did I just say a one-liner and they actually thought that was funny? Or should I put that in my show? Another feedback thing is I'll review my clips. I'll review it, but I'll, I'll mute myself. So I'll only look at my, my nonverbal communication. How am I standing? What am I doing with my hands? You know, things like that. And then I'll do the reverse. I'll, I'll just listen to how I'm talking. Am I saying the right words? You know, how, what words am I emphasizing on? So you can kind of analyze your verbal and nonverbal communication. So, and then kind of, so that was the feedback thing you just said, but going back to, to, to the show is I try to do tricks with, with everyday objects. So a lot of magicians will maybe will use a weird looking box or some funny looking thing, a prop. And I don't like to use that because I've learned over the years is that the more transparent that object is to the audience member, the more impressive it is. If I borrow some, some, let's say a ring, I don't know, and I do a trick with a ring versus I pull a ring out of my bag and do a trick with that. Well, it could be the same exact trick, 
But just by the fact that I'm borrowing it from someone else, it makes it more personal, makes it more impressive. So everything that you see in my show, I think to myself, can I can I hand it out? Can I hand it out to people and they can examine it? Which I want. I want people to examine all, all the things I have and say, yeah, this is a normal <laughs> thing, whatever whatever I'm using. And that so that, that has always been my kind of my mentality. It's, in other words, if I was on a flight and they lost my luggage. Can I go down to CVS and do the same show and buy props at CVS and do it? And and that's 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 my mentality of the tricks I do. So so yeah, that's that's more the approach. That's in terms of props. That's that's what I use in terms of my 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 personality. Chachi, maybe you were at the show, but I I do. I'm very outgoing when I present, and I'm, I'm I have a lot of energy when I present as well. But I also try to make people think. Is what he's doing real or is it a trick? I talk about body language and, and, and things like this. Okay, well, you look to the right there, you know, you must be thinking of this, you know. So I want people to say, wait, is, is, is what he's talking about real? And I also like to integrate stories within my within my tricks, tricks as well. So the, the show that I do, every trick has to relate back to a Beatles story. It, it, there's some sort of element to, to a, a moment in time that the, the Beatles achieved. And that was the hardest thing. And I think, Chachi, you said, you said this a few minutes ago. There's so much Beatles history. There is so much Beatles history, so much so that I did, I read thousands of books, I mean, not book, pages of, of, of Beatles, of Beatles books for my show to do history and do research about what I could do. And I realized at the end of the day, I have tons of pages, hundreds of pages of notes. And I realized that the show I have, I didn't have to read any of those things because I have enough knowledge in my head just to, there's too much out there. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's too much. How do I actually, you know, how do I talk about certain things but not talk about other things? So when you go to my show, I need people to realize that if I don't talk about a certain album or, or something that happened to the Beatles, it's because I just don't have time, <laughs> you know, right. right. This so so it's amazing. Their career. It's so amazing. What yeah. you give, what you give the audience, John, though, is once they, they've seen your show, they go out into the world in their daily lives. And what you didn't necessarily mail, make a link to for a particular moment in Beatle history, they're going to see elsewhere. Because now they've got a new set of glasses, a terministic screen that will then start to see them. I've, I've dealt with this with my students for many, many years. The, one of the first years I taught the class, the Beatles had just finally made it to iTunes. That's how long I've been teaching the class, right? And so they were on a huge billboard on top of a convenience store right on Cambridge Street in Boston. We had students living in a dorm. And a couple of my students, they could look out their window and see that billboard. And they came into class and asked me if I had, if I had put that there. Okay. And, and in 20, in, uh, while you were in, while you were at Brian, 2015, and the Patriots had won the Super Bowl against Seattle and the rolling rally ended up at government center and they were playing the Beatles cover of twist and shout. As I was teaching that particular album, please, please me to my class. And they could hear it over the rooftops because the building I was teaching in is three blocks from government center. And they said, did I plan that? Right. And I said, no, <laughs> no, and I didn't. I didn't plan that lush body, you know, ointments and 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 things for the body. Sell a soap called Strawberry Fields Forever Soap. I didn't plan that. So what you give your audience is that then to make those connections. So your performance, your show, stays with them beyond the fact that it was your show, which is really a neat thing. And I love the fact that you use that you also look at the audience, right? And use that as part of your feedback. When I'm teaching my students, even the Ed Sullivan show, the most fascinating thing are not the Beatles performing those songs, it's the audiences. And that was innovative that the, the crew there at CBS was filming the audience. All of a sudden, the audience became interesting. The audience became part of the performance as you're doing. I, I got to ask though, uh, and however you treat it, you don't have to give away any secrets. Do you talk about the Beatles when they played magicians in Magical Mystery Tour? Ah, <laughs> uh, it's funny. So I do not talk about that. I do really go. <laughs> yes, and the reason is because I feel like it's too obvious. That I because you know, like Matt, I I could have named my show the Magical Mystery Tour. You know what I mean? But I want, but I wanted to spread out a little bit. But of course. Be, 
there's so much history with the Beatles that I I do want to integrate something something like that. And again, that was one of the, I believe that's one of the the Paul is Dead clues as well on the inside cover. They talk about the five with the five magicians. Was that was that the, uh, the 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 sentence? But but yeah. So but it's funny when you just mentioned how Ed Sullivan had uh had his the audience had the camera on the audience. That is actually how David Blaine became popular as well, because a lot of magicians were on TV before David Blaine, but David Blaine kind of made magic cool again, you know, for lack of a better term. And the reason for that is because the tricks that he's doing as a magician, they're not super hard tricks to do, but the focus is on the audience. And so people at home are reacting to the reactions they're not reacting to the magic they're reacting to the reactions and that no one has ever done that before no one everyone before david blaine focused on the magician the focus on the magician they said let's focus it on the audience instead and and that's why that's why jeopardy and wheel of fortune and those game shows are so popular family feud because when you're watching them you you you're participating as well you're trying to think of the answers as well and by do by having that be part of the experience, you're making people naturally engaged in, into it, and uh, that's what that's what the Beatles did as well. You know, they 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 use those techniques those techniques too, which I find is is really really fascinating. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, John. We all have our favorite Beatle. Do you have a favorite Beatle, and does that influence some of your show that you do more about John? Or in my case, George is my favorite Beatle. Does that influence what you do? It's tough. So I would say I resonate with Paul the most in terms of how of how of his personality. I feel like I have a lot of Paul Paul in myself. I'm very perfectionist, and it's kind of a downside at, at times. But I I feel like that's and I've always kind of looked on the on the bright side of things, and that was kind of who, who Paul was Paul was as well. But but not I don't I try to tell I try to highlight each beetle evenly throughout the show i i try my best to do that and it's actually it's harder than it sounds because the the harder thing about developing the show was how do you first off the history of the beatles which i talked about in a few minutes ago there's so much history but how, then how do you make the tricks theme with the stories and how do you make it all flow so just one big continuous conversation that it seems like? And hopefully that's what it felt like, Pichachi, when you went to the show. It just seemed like it was just one big continuous conversation. Everything just flowed. And, and that's the hardest thing about putting the, putting the show together. And then also trying to pick out certain stories. Okay, it's like, okay, well, I could talk about, you know, each of their upbringing, you know. But then if I do that, then after, then after this, okay, should I talk about the wives? Okay, if I do that, then, you know, so... I try to make it all flow and, and that's, I try to even it out for, for every, every person. Yeah. I will tell you, professor, I think you'll enjoy the show. We loved it. That's why we're going back for the next two. And John's very personable. He's engaging. You know, I do a lot of pacing when I'm on stage. John does a little of that. Only we were at a small, you had a small stage there, but if you see, he has a, he did a TEDx talk. It's fantastic. So he is fun to watch. He's almost like uh, he's an every man, but super talent. And it's like, what is he going to do next? And he amazed everyone in the audience many times over that first show that we saw in Hanover. So we're looking forward to it. So David, we hope that you get to come to the show. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Chachi, imagine that uh, to sort of uh, in between his performances, you know, he'll he'll review himself and how he performs. You know, can you imagine that listening to yourself after you've uh, put well, out a show? Right. Chachi, well, Chachi hates to listen to himself. I don't understand it. <laughs> I do. And, you know, I don't know how you do it, John, but I think Steph would reaffirm when I say the fact that if I get one criticism, my day is ruined. So good for you that you're able to. Uh, <laughs> to look at people's feedback of what you didn't like about the show. Cause I just, it will just grind in my head and we love compliments, yeah. but I'm not so great with criticism. <laughs> well, I'm the same way. So like, if I, if someone says something, you know, negative, I, it does, I think it's natural. I think everyone, it gets stuck in their head because our brains are, are naturally drawn to the negativity rather than positivity. Our brains have to force ourselves to be positive. That's how our brains are actually created. But I, I try to view that as a learning lesson. I try to view it and say, okay, 
Now, now, now here's the thing. If you do a hundred shows and every single person said they, they loved this certain trick. And then you had one person that says, Oh, I wasn't a fan of that trick. Well, then you have to kind of figure, okay, you know, was it that one person? Maybe what was the angle they were at, you know, something like that. So you have to kind of give and give and take, but, but yeah, I'm, I, I love trying to understand what I can do better. And, and, and I'm a big, I'm a big component in making the small tweaks make, make the big difference. You know, and you've seen, you've seen the stage show that Eric Taros and I do at the region. Certainly David has as well. So, you know, we always get great comments, right? But there always are like P, our main fans. The key is when you have a stranger in the audience that comes up and says it was a great show or it wasn't a great show. I don't necessarily take verbatim from the people that we've known for a long time, friends, family. It's the people that don't know you that have nerve enough to say, I didn't like this. And they're out there, so you gotta you gotta remove the two. Yeah, and that that's why I like doing uh, giving a survey link to everyone that attends the show afterwards because because I, I yeah I frame it in a way it's like okay you know what was John's strengths and what was which John's opportunities for growth and and by and it's anonymous so by doing that people can really kind of tell you know what's on your mind and I collect data I'm a big person and I like collecting data and then what does the data tell me to 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 uh, to tweak the show. But, but yeah, it's funny, like there's one trick, I don't want to give too much away, but after the surveys I did, there was one trick that, that people, that everyone was talking about. And even people that I'm talking, you know, I saw a few of the people that attended the show a few days ago, and there was this one trick in the show that everyone loves. Chachi, it's one where everyone is doing doing the trick at the same time. Okay. And, and people, people, people love that. And and so I was thinking, like, should I move that maybe towards the end of the show rather than the, in the middle? And I kind of had a little pros and cons list and stuff like that. So, so again, just based on that data, I kind of can can tweak my show a little bit based off of based off of what I think is working and what isn't working. Yeah, it really was a roller coaster surprise, <laughs> and we, Steph and I, thoroughly enjoyed the show. It was just a lot of fun, and I will announce for the first time here, David that John and I are going to do a show, a combination show, where we're going to celebrate the Beatles' performance at the Boston Garden. And Mr. Gallant, of course, you're invited. On September 12th, the Monday, we will be at the City Winery Boston, in in Boston, not far from the Boston Garden, for a 6.30 startup. It's a Monday, so we're going to start early, so people can get home early. But we're going to celebrate 58 years since the Beatles played the Boston Garden that very night, September 12th. In 1964, we'll be at the City Winery on September 12th coming up, and it will be a combination of many things. Certainly, we're going to talk about the historic performance of the Beatles at the Boston Garden, some of the different things that were at that show compared to others on that tour, one being that it was the loudest show of the Beatles tour at the Boston Garden. There's a bunch of other things. Eric Taros will join us with some uh, film here and there. But also we're going to play trivia with prizes and John is going to do some magic. So that's September 12th at the City Winery in Boston. So we're looking forward to that. It's going to be a fun night. And we're going to announce that this week, but you're hearing it first on our podcast. Right, John? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be really fun. It's going to be really, really fun. So... Gachi, is is John going to make the old garden reappear? We're trying to do that, at least the Madison Hotel. Ah, <laughs> that's a, that's another tricky one. Yeah, I when I was a uh, college student or after I had just graduated between undergrad and grad school, that's when the implosion took place. It was an early, early Sunday morning in Boston when the Hotel Madison was imploded. And so that that died its death before the old garden did. There are lots of things in that area that no longer exist, but through the power of magic, we're going to recreate that time. As Chachi, you well know, uh, many years ago now, right? Now it's many years ago at the at the uh, museum. Uh, yes, the, the West um, End Museum. The West End, West End Museum celebrated had a whole seminar, a whole weekend devoted to that famous concert wow. stop uh, at the old Boston Garden. Yeah, that, um, was, that was the 50th anniversary. So 50th anniversary. Eight years ago. Yep. Yep, exactly. So, you know, that sounds like a fantastic event. So, you know, I don't know if, yeah. You're invited and Uh, uh, we'll put you on the guest list, of course, you and whoever you'd like to bring and your participation is encouraged to share some recollections of the Beatles at the Garden. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Yeah. 
But, you know, as we approach the end of our podcast, Professor, any final thoughts, any final questions for John Logan, a really celebrated magician, keynote speaker, travels the world, was on the America's Got Talent show and a musician for the New England Patriots and and just really a, a unique a very talented uh, individual. You know what? It, it's I didn't know if if each NFL team they have strength and conditioning coaches. They even have team psychologists. I didn't know that they also each had. I don't know, I don't know if they each have a team magician, <laughs> but I'm sure that they have uh, in-house uh, entertainments because a lot of what is done, of course, in that in that aspect is about team building. I didn't know if if John felt obviously there's some synergy. And he learns his craft both ends, whether it is the the Beatles performance program or, and I hate to use the term, but I can't think of a better term, the corporate gigs. And that are those two different worlds for you, but they're sort of, are they part of the same thing? Do you bring Beatles into the workplace when you're doing an event about motivation or team building? Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that. So kind of everything you just talked about is kind of... Uh, big Venn diagram of how magic with the Beatles came to be because obviously I do I love performing magic and then I have my own keynotes where I talk about my title impossible is just a word where I talk about research and case studies about how people look to challenges from a different perspective I was a fan of the Beatles and then when I was the magician for the Patriots I was telling the the whole theme of the show was every week a new player would come into the studio and I would tell a story about the players so fans would learn about the players off the field but i was using magic as a way as a way to do it so the aspect of storytelling through the magic right and everything kind of merged together to form magic with the beatles that's what it all is all in one so when you asked do i merge them in during my during my keynotes when i do talk about creativity and when i do talk about innovation in my keynotes i do mention a few examples by the beatles and I think that kind of started, I, I think one day I was like, oh, wow, you know, this, I could probably do a trick with this. Oh, I could probably do a trick with this. And it just, one thing led to another, which led to another, which led to another. But yeah, I think, I think obviously they were doing things no one was doing before. And I think, I think there were three, from my perspective, I think there were three main reasons why they were so successful. And it was the, musically, they were doing things no one was doing, you know, doing record, you know, doing recorded music and sounds and make literally creating their own notes you know penny lane the, the trumpet goes so high it's out of tune and things like that uh day in the life you know with the orchestra and the, paul wanted them to do improv you know all these crazy things that no one was doing before so the music number one the culture i think the 50s and 60s were if you look at what's going on in the world a lot of violence a lot of wars going on people were looking for some sort of hope they were looking for some sort of optimism and the beatles the beatles personalities brought that which leads to number three, which is their personalities. They were just very, they didn't really, they, they kind of made fun, not made fun of, but poked fun at the media and journalists and just had fun with it. And I think those three combinations made them, made them to be, to be successful. So, so yeah, it's, and I talk about, talk about that in my, in my show as well. So uh, a lot, a lot of things, a lot of things going on, but again, I don't think anyone can ever achieve what the Beatles did. And I think, you know, you, you listen to the Beatles, you get a magical feeling when you listen to the Beatles, you watch magic, you get a magical feeling. So my show is just blending those two together and exploring, you know, exploring that middle ground, exploring that, that, that blend. Well, you know, Professor, it's people like John Logan that are going to really cement the theory that 100 years from now, people will still be listening to the Beatles and it will carry on generation after generation because the music is just that so accessible to people of all ages. And so we appreciate you coming on the show, John. It's really a pleasure to be with you again. Of course. No, thanks for having me. I've been been a big fan of the podcast and I'm honored to be a guest and and yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, what we can all achieve together. So tell us uh, where p- people should go, magicwiththebeatles.com, anything else? Yeah, ma- magicwiththebeatles.com. That you can learn more about the show, learn about the, the dates. And yeah, so, and then that leads to my website as well, which is uh, johndukelogan.com. Best way to remember it is John Lennon, Duke University, Logan Airport. So johndukelogan.com. <laughs> there you go. And uh, yeah, so but magic, magicwiththebeatles.com. Uh, you can learn all about the show, and it's fun. Again, if you're if you're you know nothing about the Beatles, if you've never even heard of the Beatles, 
you'll learn about the Beatles. You'll have a good time. If you're a big fanatic fan and you know everything about the Beatles, you'll still have a good time. So, and so magicwiththebeatles.com. And if you are listening and these, uh, it's it's not after these dates, you can see Magic with the Beatles with John Logan on Saturday night, August 20th at the Black, Black Box Theater in Franklin, Massachusetts. Doors at 7.15, shows at 8 o'clock. On Friday, August 26th at the Center for the Arts in Hopkinton. And uh, that's another 8 o'clock start time as well. And then if you want to celebrate the Beatles' 58th anniversary of their performance at the Boston Garden. I will be hosting and doing an event with the same John Logan at the Boston City Winery, Monday night, September 12th at 6.30. It's going to be really spectacular. John will present some of his unique, innovative magic. We'll talk about the Beatles at the Boston Garden. We'll play trivia and give away prizes, including original Beatles vinyl. We're going to have some concert tickets, Red Sox tickets, that's at the City Winery on Monday night, September 12th. Go to citywinery.com slash Boston. And we have David Yaz. He is the the brains behind the Boston Podcast Network. David, you had John on your podcast, what, two years ago. So you discovered him before <laughs> I did. And yes. uh, your thoughts on Mr. Logan? Well, he, he made me disappear, and that's why I'm just the ghost of a person you see before me. But no, he... <laughs> He he's fantastic, and if you yeah, if you want to go back to listen to that edition of the Boston Podcast from 2019, you'll see somehow he can even do magic on a podcast, which you wouldn't think he might be able to do, but but um, just tremendous. I'm going to try to catch a show for sure. Well, I hope you do. He is uh, a talent, that's for sure. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us, Professor Gallant. A pleasure. How's the students doing? Are they okay? Well, I haven't met all of them yet. Semester begins well, a little, little more than a month from now. That's and in right. fact, the event at the City Winery is only four days after class has begun. So, I'll wow. certainly be in that. It sounds like, not to get too beatly, it sounds like a splendid time is guaranteed for all. Yes, that is very beatly, and that is true. So, John Logan, thank you for coming on our podcast. You're listening to Get Back to the Beatles. My name is Chachi LaPrat. You can hear New England's Breakfast with the Beatles every weekend on Saturday mornings, 91.9 FM WUMB. Sunday mornings on Seacoast Oldies, 92.1, 97.1 in New Hampshire and Maine. And we are the Boston Podcast Network. Get back to the Beatles. If you'd like to have your own podcast, well, David Yaz is the man to talk to. He produces many fantastic podcasts, and he's a dear friend, and he is our spiritual leader, John. So. <laughs> many thanks, Chach. I'm oh, just, yeah. I'm just happy up. I passed the audition. Look <laughs> at that, the magical mystery tour. He's always thinking. <laughs> okay, everybody, thank you for joining us here at Get Back to the Beatles. See you next time. sure to check for the latest episode of Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette at pod617.com. The Boston Podcast Network.